Jackson the Cat. Episode 1, Jackson's Yuletide Hell. One. Even though it was Christmas, Jackson was the same, and the static feline sat hunched at his writing desk, scratching off an index of eight potions. Tremonshire, he wrote, squinting the eyes in his apartment's post-evening black. Potion one. Not unlikely to be found among tradesmen. Makes the blood run cold in only the most unambiguous of senses. When ingested, one's literally in a chill from toe to top, useful only if trapped in a four-poster with a clingy, scrounging termagant who... Well, this was to be a stock-taking, not a cahay. Jackson speared out that last part. Augustus, potion two, not so much an elixir as an answer to them, will deal you digestive contumely and gut aches like worst boots stepping on worst stomachs and worst game of blind man's buff. Jackson noticed his watch. The cat bent close by the lamp, raising the paws stealth with knowledge that, in a few moments idle, unwelcome company should make its vulgar debut. Margaret, he scrawled, marking it as the third potion as his brain, leaping over the pen, composed his entry. A damned interesting tincture should be known to possess varying degrees and effects depending on the balance of weather. When raining, it makes you laugh. If raining hard, it makes one laugh harder. Sunny, you'll cry. Partly cloudy stays to be unknown. An interesting tincture, but a fitfully unuseful one. Jackson thought he could hear a Doherty down in the avenue beside the carolers. Certainly some vehicle was pulling up stakes at his diagonally roofed brownstone. The chair scraped back and he plunged quickly through the rest. Chedestith, potion four. Effects unknown. Millingham, potion five. Effects unknown. George, potion six. Effects only by conjecture are known. And wrote similar epitomies for the remaining two. Jackson held up that attenuated index before his blood-spattered eyes, stained of years by smoking. Well, hell. A chime whisked by the potioner's back, and he rose, knowing his moment had come. Come in, he allowed, sinking disheartedly in a grandfather chair, posing next to the hanging rollers of newsprint. In came one large, pleasant-looking cat who didn't take any time at all in making a foul joke. "'What is it, Jack, you call a badger?' he asked with a toss of the greatcoat. "'Who has a pelt that he offers for sale?' He stood amidst the room, saying this last with an auctioneer's menace. Jackson did not stir. "'What is it you call—' "'I heard it!' A flourish. A shaved beaver. Perfect, Jackson thought. Crude, doesn't make any sense, and has all the hubris of presuming itself to be breathtaking. Motley, Jackson huffed, picking the dregs out a nostril. Tell me why it is you needed to come here tonight. I'll tell you, Jack, Motley answered, as he stalked about the circumference of the receiving room's bunching, heaving with a purpose. Jackson, he said, but Motley didn't hear. I've come, Motley went on with a grand air, to give you bread. He leaned and folded his furry arms on the balsa wood. 
This piqued Jackson's courage somewhat. Bread? He sat nicely. Where's bread? Who says you aren't welcome in my abode? I don't have it, said Motley, and Jackson's face looked as if it suffered a stroke. Ah, but you can have it, Motley added. Well, but how? Jackson accused. What do you mean? Are they having another giveaway for unscrupulous bachelors and amateur potioneers for this blasted holiday? Jackson, grimacing, laughed and coughed at his own bitter bon mot. Motley eyed him. No, he said, standing up straight. There's a brothel house downtown that's had its bread tampered with. Motley grunted a little as he popped a cork off Jackson's white wine bottle and placed himself at the bunching table. And there's a reward, here Motley grinned, for anyone who can find the culprit and tell them why. The reward being lucre, as it's known all over I, Jackson the Potioneer, require. No, but bread, which you also require. The bread was tampered with, he said. They're making new bread. Motley raised the bottle's neck as he raised this revelation into Jackson's dull little world. Or so Jackson perceived Motley to be thinking. Poppin' Jay. Jackson spat through the tongue, but the spit came in ready supply as he'd started salivating at the mention of the unmentionable. The bread. The bread. Oh, it would be the death of him. Take me there, allowed Jackson, and he grabbed his coat off of the newspaper rack. 2. Through work, Motley and Jackson knew one another. But it is Christmas, said Motley, whilst they rambled. You have to have a kind of gaiety if you don't want to just let things be the same. And yet I noticed we are. Motley was stumped. The seasons change, said Jackson, his drooping whiskers with angry scythes of ice indented. And yet we are the same Motley and the same Jackson, his voice taking on a guttural hint with this latter name. Mm. I didn't see you at the Charnel House. This was their special name for the annex where meetings with upper echelons were conducted as one of the many burdens bound to their mutual government post. I skipped. Why? said Motley. Well, obviously it's terrible, and that's part of why. He rubbed his paws, covered in blue cloth glovelets. The unfilled fingers waved as worms at sea. But you missed Raphael telling us about his marital problems. We are all having marital problems. With Rafe. Pronouncing it Rafe. Being city clocks here is without any rut a marriage to Raphael. We experience his highs, his lows, his bursts of love, and his bangs of bathos. I think I might demand a dinner at a French restaurant next time he begins a reprimand with the words, in general. He tisked. It is a marriage, but with none of the fun stuff. Exactly as I said. Probably Rafe with his wife gives her pink slips when she's underperforming in the, uh, conjugal aspects of I don't wish to know. And lucky for Jackson, they'd come to their spot. Captain Red Bows stood a former five-story schoolhouse of pale brick and offering signs for December discounts that could be refunded up to January. Now, said Jackson turning to his unloved helpmeet. Before we dive into this probable cash fraud, I might ask you why myself. You didn't come to any of the other Clark slaves. 
Well, the brothel folks think the bread was changed with potions, and you're the only one at the office who qualifies. I'll allow. Am I to be a suspect then? I doubt it. He clapped the glovelets thrice, flouting out snow particles. It'd have to be someone with malevolent intent. Jackson accepted this compliment like a suppository. Ah, however, why might my potionery have any bearing on a circumstance where a, let's safely infer, altogether noisome and space-permeating cathouse had their personal bank of foodstuffs canned? In your eagerness, my friend, during our walk to speak of, what was it, drinking expired eggnog and how that colored four days tobogganing, you absented to tell me how one motley could come to hear of this, a brothel house with bread agony. The large cat pointed to a door. Megan, who goes to these places, told me about it this morning, and therefrom I told you to let me stop by. After our shift, Megan goes... Ha! Yeah, she says she uses one of their specially selected role plays that involves a mountaineer named Spatterby. Motley pouted with suggestion as Jackson heaved. So it was from her I learned about this bread situation. And you did not tell me of this at work out of what divine muse? I knew you had some wine left at your house, and I had to see for myself. And Motley entered. 3. Jackson, shuddering in his overcoat, stomped the pointed boots he dragged on the threshold, dreading what horrors lay forth. Through his brain flashed envisionings of lascivious females rubbing on him and, worst of all, making him tempted to break out the coin purse. Jackson had what some called a mini-layered relationship with the facts of life, and regardless, money was in no uncertain terms tight as it was probably bound to be for a moonlighting potioneer. He swallowed. Do it for the loaves, he told himself bravely. All right, Jackson, in we go. The sight of primly dressed females perching at rows of desks, writing on sheets and sheets of paper, was not what Jackson expected, nor Motley from the telescope in his eyes. But nevertheless, before them was some twice a dozen molly cats, some shivering in blankets despite the working furnace, scribbling away as one stood at a lectern examining a thickened logbook. Welcome, she said, raising her head toward the intruders. If you wait on that bench, we can have someone with you in just a moment. We aren't here to indulge, Jackson said, not feeling utterly at ease with the final word choice. The administrator stared. Motley injected, we're here about the bread. Excellent. She switched. Then allow me one second to grab Cheryl and make sure everything's ready in the back office. She did a pirouette and whisked into the distance. Studying a sign dated from March that said, With his posthumous approval, we openly and unsurreptitiously mourn the loss of our number one customer, Gerald Brilloff. Jackson muttered, What sort of brothel is this? Oh. A look of dawning light came to Motley's chin. Now Megan's thing makes a lot more sense. It's a book brothel. Jackson pinched the bandage on his nose and hissed. Tell. Well, you see, these workers here, gesturing to them, write out erotic fantasies based on the client's preferences and containing encounters between a character representing the girl and a character representing the client. 
No. Then they'll read it out loud to you. He gestured toward foundry noises echoing down an adjacent hall. They probably have a printing press back there so they can bind it up and make it look presentable. Ah, said Motley, tapping the obituary notice. He died abroad, the iced cream man, he said nonsensically, before Jackson broke in, replete Motley with expertise on this sideshow, referring to the brothel at large, by which you appeared to be baffled seconds before. I just didn't recognize it yet, was the wry footnote Motley offered when the administrator returned and told them, right this way. Your age? It's not clear how this is necessary, as I am not a client. It's for data, broke in Jessamy, the manager who'd greeted them at the lectern. We never get merchants here except for someone who recently passed on. She and Cheryl nodded, and Jackson thought, my God, they think we're weremongers. Besides, the manager said, everything, including what we compose with our clients, is kept confidential under any and all circumstances. I don't even know about the individual scenarios sketched between a girl and a patron, so there's nothing to worry about. I just hold an interest in these things, if you'll indulge me. Jackson wasn't sure if that last verb was a joke at his expense, but before discomfort could swell into rage, the census taker, Cheryl, resumed. What's your age? Jackson sighed. Thirty-four on the fifth. All right. Month in the coming year. Made that difficult. Thirty-three. She scrawled. Occupation? Not any kind of hawker. Civil servant. Motley interrupted. Specifically a tax and registration specialist and steward to city council. You two have the same job. Yes, said Jackson, too roughly. And on the side for yours truly, Potioneer. He does things with potions, from M. I'm sorry? Just right and practical, said Jay. They were sitting in a plain room with a coffee pot on the counter. When offered light roast, Motley had asked for chocolate powder, and Jackson had accepted nothing. All right, said Cheryl. And if family or friends came to town, would you recommend they use our service? Jackson blinked. Do you live and work in this building, dear? Bingo, Jessamy put a paw on her subordinate's arm. I don't get out much, she said, still writing. Paid well here, and I'm a bit obsessed. You are pale, said Motley. She's one of our prize nymphomaniacs, said Jessamy, rubbing the writer's arm. Motley decided to clarify the reason for Jackson's odd remark. He leaned toward Cheryl. Nobody really comes to this town anymore. I don't know how you haven't had laughter and barrel rolls out of that query. Jackson said, slumped back in his chair. I suppose most say yes with a furrow in their brows, so they might whirl on to the fete. The only people who do come to town these days, said Motley, eager to explain anything to anyone at any time, are lunatics. Do you have a submission for the office pooling about where that thing's located? Jackson asked, shifting to his comrade. Must be a bedlam where everyone's housed for the same affliction as they all have matching hallucinations and, in their fright, leave as quick as they've come. How, how has no one told you this? Jackson said, turning directly to Cheryl with a perfunctory and disdainful sort of gaze. Cheryl was about to say something when Jessamy cut in, I'm not sure we're here to talk current events when we have our own pressing issues. Agreed. Why this questionnaire? That's really for my own personal... I'm finished with it. Jackson stood. I am here for a specific reason. It involves wheat and yeast and crust. I wish to earn a prize. 
His eyes sank into Jessamy. When did this occur? He spoke slowly. Did anyone ingest the affected batch of bread and what, from there, transpired? The door opened, and an assistant calico popped in to say, Jess, you all should come. The bad bread started to change. Yes, said Motley, as Jessamy gasped, and Jackson took the lead. I'm so glad I came. 4. Bread Turning Blue Bread growing ice crystals on the scars, on the culverts which sit atop certain species of sourdough. Bread curdled, sitting clustered in an area that had a miniature sandwich board with a drawing meant to represent Jessamy, holding up a halt signal and a speech bubble saying, Stop! There's trouble afoot! Enduring, said Jackson, breaking gaze from the sign. Well, Tremonshire. He said it casually, and as Tremonshire, but everyone else in conversation following would be wont to pronounce it Tremonshire to Jackson's undisguised bile. Tremon what? said Jessamy. They'd come into a separate vestibule, leaving Cheryl behind. I guess they don't let her out, Motley muttered. The bread, said Jackson, touching it cautiously with an outstretched claw, is cold and experiencing chills in a way that only can be the result of alchemy, specifically from a potion called Tremonshire. Now, where is my non-deteriorated script? Jackson grinned as he dreamed of different sorts of bread he'd be suckling under the one bough of holly he put up each sea eve, usually in the afternoon. So this is a potion that did this, Jessamy said. As inferred. But, but why? That is a conditional for the reward. I had forgot that. Neatly. Someone, said Jackson, with care, did not hanker for their current employment if you can deign to dream. Thus, have I now procured an oven-cast perquisite? Though you seem to be implying it's one of my employees, said Jessamy, before I give you the heaps of bread coming out our cook's galleys, I'd still prefer to know who. Jackson made a long for a word that never manifested. They all stood. He's not really a detective, said Motley, which is why he's going to split the reward with me when I help him figure out the who. Jackson bared his teeth at the Mott. A pertinent factor you did not quite come around to saying. I gotta get my foot in, shrugged the fat cat, but before a row could break out, in came Cheryl, nervous and with her fur standing on end. I've got to come clean. Jackson, thinking he could do it, believed himself to be raising an eyebrow. Ah? Uh -huh. Cheryl, said Jessamy, I know who's done it, and she put her paws over her face and wept. Jessamy reeled, and Motley looked neutrally at the stains of ink covering Cheryl's skirt, while Jack rubbed his temples wearily. This'll be good, Motley whispered. Soon they were in a low-ceilinged comfort lounge, upstairs, with only cots all about. Jessamy had said HR required such meetings to happen there when an employee was so visibly distressed. She noted this tiredly. Jackson, for his part, was on her side. Out of therapeutic theorems, he guessed contemptuously, the ceiling was low enough that one could not sit or stand, but only lie down on a bed. This had forced all of them to repose on separate mattresses as Cheryl sobbed her story. On first seeing the room, which could only be entered by crawling, Jackson had almost left. Oh, I didn't say anything because I thought it was just a routine encounter. 
Cheryl, how about you just explain, said Jess, her arms parallel to the contours of her bed frame. Motley was adjusting the pillow. You see, just last week on one of the nights when I was the only one here, and you'd gone home, Jess, yes, 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 she said, and Jackson looked at her from his cot. Well, um, a client came in late, and you had said it would probably do well for my career if I was available 24-7. Yes, Cheryl, I understand. What happened? Cheryl stared at her boss for a moment, then said, I was writing a man's scenario, and when I offered to bring him something to eat, he said he wanted to bring the food to me. I'm sorry? That's romantic, said Motley. He said I should tell him the directions to the kitchen, and then he'd grab the bread and, and feed it to me. Give me a break, Cheryl, said Jessamy. Did you do it? Cheryl nodded. He must have tampered with the food when he was in the galley. It was after I heard you two talking, said Cheryl to Motley, and Jackson unmoving on the springs, that I realized he must have been one of those lunatics who come to town that I didn't know about. I'd never seen him before, she swallowed, her voice thick with feeling, and he left soon after I wrote his scenario. But no one came to town recently, said Motley. Cheryl said, it was very late at night. Uh-huh. What did this man say he did? Cheryl considered. That he was a mountain climber or something. It could occur, Jackson said, and this sort of madhouse seems like the first place he'd aim toward. Flavors of the home life. Jessamy seemed to pretend not to hear that and said, Okay, so Cheryl. In general, a phlegmatic rasp emitted from Jackson's mouth, but then Jessamy resumed. In general... I would prefer you don't allow outsiders into our galley without my permission. Mm-hmm, Cheryl nodded. But you came forth, and I appreciate that. I think what speaks best is your attitude, Cheryl. As I've said, you can step out for a holiday any time, no problem with me. But any sustained dedication you'll be continuing to put in through next year would more than make up for this. Cheryl wiped her fur. Right, she said. Yeah, good. We need employees like Cheryl, said Jessamy, smiling to the two civil servants. We are, after all, only a startup book brothel. May you thrive, Jackson said, dropping down a leg. I'm going to develop bed lesions. We are ready for our prize, Miss Jessamy. Then shall we meet you near the exit with bread and paper bags and... Jackson looked at his watch. Thirteen minutes time? Five. I'd like some ice cream, said Motley. Why? That guy who died, their old customer, Gerald Brilloff. He made the best ice cream in town. I'd not gotten word. Seeing that weird sign for him reminded me how good his desserts were. She desires to break out, said Jackson, and Motley, understanding, nodded. They sat on the floor in an abandoned hall with no benches. At least some of the time. It's not just her commandant, Miss Jessamy. Cheryl's prison is, in part, self-made. Her ways are a box. What clue did you see to tell you that? After a while, Jackson answered, Familiarity. Yeah, but that boss isn't exactly helping. She's like Raphael, but possibly worse, agreed Jackson. Possibly, said Motley. Then he added, 
That story seemed too much like the romance novels I read. Jackson sucked the air floating off his cigarette without putting it in to directly inhale. It was the way he smoked when indoors. The cigarette lay just from reach, billowing in his claw. Yes, and there was a detail that had the air of something reminiscent. Something I had recently suppressed. Oh! Motley sprang forward. The mountain climber. Jackson waved the cigarette. Like Megan's scenario involving a mountaineer, said Motley. Jackson frowned, breathing in. Writers are hacks who repeat themselves, aren't they? Circle the same themes, can't break off the same tired motifs. You read such drivel more than I, Motley, am I correct? Well, yeah, said Mott. I like it, though. Jackson, on that note, stood. It seems we've realized a mistake. If our erroneous conclusions become unearthed, Jessamy's just the sort of jackanape to resend our deserts. Motley looked up at his co-worker. But why and how did Cheryl do it? But Jackson was already striding forward. 6. The different gradients of Jessamy's expression, as Motley and Jackson told her the puzzle pieces of a solution they'd gathered, went as follows. First, blank. This was as Jackson came to her office, Cheryl wasn't yet present, and said, Cheryl told an untruth, deliberately. The blank face looked up. Most likely, there never was a visiting mountaineer of any sort. Your employee tampered with the food because her workaholism was exacerbated. Expression? Blank. This person wished to continue showing a resplendent attitude, as you'd heaped praise on her for, but she wished to find reprieve without showing her desire to have reprieve. And thus, driven to desperation, Cheryl incited mayhem, causing some of your employees to be shivering still, and carrying hope it would force a shutdown and she'd get out to enjoy life, as little as there is to enjoy in this godforsaken area. Said Jackson. Maybe do some holiday caroling, Motley said. Or whatever. Expression? Blank. Jackson. Two mountaineers converging on one place is palliatively rich. She knew she could plunder from her own material for the lie because even you, Jessamy, do not have access to the scenarios. But we know from our co-worker Megan that someone who works here has a taste for mountaineers said Motley, and Cheryl got the idea to pin the poison on a wandering lunatic when we told her about our town's troubles. First, Cheryl had heard of this from a prison cell, said Jackson. Expression? Blanker. Nonetheless, all turned to the black, continued the potioner. Cheryl should have realized the degrees of avarice you'd allow to drive your decisions to overwork the cook staff, to make new bread and offer a non-monetary prize, all weighing against in your mind, Jackson snorted, encouraging the staff to take a moratorium. The expression reached a higher level of blankness. Motley jumped in, but I just wonder where she got the Tremonshire. Tremonshire? said Jackson. Right. However, it is known by I. And Motley's eyes widened. She got it, said the potioner, from the safely deceased Gerald Brilloff, 
who we know died abroad, so no muck in that direction. But Tremonshire's common among tradesmen. Logically, too, for one who specializes in frozen dairy. You yourself, Miss Jessamy, said that you have no visiting tradesmen but the lately deceased. So, it likely was from him. Did Cheryl have Briloff for a client? The expression surpassed all previous levels of blankness and shattered into something uber-blank. It nodded. And since Cheryl is not one who forays into the outside world, he would have been her only conduit for such substances. This is concluded, said Jackson. Now, for this extra work, you will have delivered the bread to my address where my partner and I can negotiate things from there on. Motley frowned as Jackson scrawled a street number on a piece of paper, and the blank expression finally spoke. I've done things wrong, I can see, with Cheryl. I'm going to start a dialogue with her about making some changes. Motley and Jackson recognized something in that kind of language, and with a slight anxiousness, Motley said, Happy cows make better milk or ice cream. Jackson was going to grimace when Cheryl came in at that exact moment, and immediately, Jessamy said, You need a Christmas bonus. Cheryl stopped. Oh, she said. There was still ink on her skirt. All right. Motley breathed a sigh of relief, and Jackson, stomping his pointed toes, said, And we depart. The day was quiet. Motley and Jackson walked steadily. Snow had fallen that morning, and most of the residents were inside, enjoying their fellow felines. All right, said Motley. That went pretty well. And bread awaits. Plus, now Cheryl's probably going to have a healthier work situation at her job. Yes, I suppose that isn't such a terrible bycatch when one sums it all together. Hmm. Someone was running to catch up with them. It's Cheryl, said Motley. Hey, he waved. Carrying a box? Rather odd, something about her stance. What is that? But he was interrupted by a vicious blow to his nose, causing the cut under the bandage to blossom blood in a new, fresh batch. Jackson stood, rubbing, as Motley gaped with jaw open, and Cheryl screamed, Well done, you fucking idiots! They waited. Motley, for what? That bonus check! said Cheryl, focusing most of her rage on Jackson. Was also my severance, you bloody cunts! She fired me! Cheryl shook, and Jackson stood not moving. She didn't even bloody care about the poisoning. Her voice choked. It was all about attitude. She said someone who wasn't whole hog shouldn't be working at a book brothel. Infuriated tears streamed from her eyes. After all I've given... Jackson, in this moment, decided to set his eyes on a window. She noticed this and walked up close. You, she said. You believe yourself, even more than your stupid friend here, to be brilliant and wonderful, but you're just a sad, selfish little shit who sits alone all day studying his little potions and caring about nobody but himself. Motley backed away while Cheryl brought out a sheet and said, here, wrote something for you, free of charge. And she whirled off, stomping down the alley. Oh, and Merry Christmas, she said. And soon, she was gone. Jackson looked down at the folded parchment. There once was a sexy mountaineer named Cheryl, who spent her days climbing one enormous mountain. 
But one day, she realized she was so high she couldn't see the town anymore that she'd loved. Chewing over her problem, she spotted a cave, and in it was an ugly potioneer named Jackson the Miserable. He was 33 going on 50. He told her he could help, and when she saw he was about to kick her right off the side of the mountain in order to win some stupid prize, she sprayed his very own vial of Tremonshire right on his sack and froze his balls for all eternity. It was the most erotic thing he had ever experienced, and he wept. The end. Motley read over his shoulder. Wow. They were at the town square, standing with paws in pockets. It is the least I deserve. Jackson's tone was oblique and even. So, folding up the paper and slipping it in an unoccupied sleeve of his wallet, you'll be wanting to divvy up your half of the bread cash. Motley said that Jackson could have it all. He shook his head. Same unerring Motley, he uttered. I accept. Resenting the offer is no longer a path. Sure. They stood by a fountain not fully froze and still half-trickling, festooned with red velvet after the brothel house's exterior. So, you think with the yuletide spirit possibly taking hold you'll do something unexpected? said Motley, and share your bread with co-workers besides me, or maybe a person whose name rhymes with the term Carol? The beginnings of a breeze inhabited the skyline. Jackson stared up. Isn't likely, he said, and his yellow irises dove. I have to have it all for me. It was the saddest Motley had ever heard him sound. Huh, said Motley. With the gale, the branches of an evergreen blastingly made a bow and waved under snow. Sprinkles of pine rained on the water pooling off the fountain, where Motley and Jackson's unsurprising reflections waved back. End of Episode 1 Jackson the Cat is written by Oak Edel and performed by me, Jason Everett. The theme music is Black Widow by Graham. Stay tuned for another exciting mystery to be published in the upcoming calendar month. Until then... <laughs>